0: As we come to 1 Chronicles chapter 19, we are looking at the life of King David as recorded by the Holy Spirit to us, focusing on his administration. It's less personal than the record of David in Samuel and uh, 2 Samuel. It's more the administration with key insights, and it's, it's been good. It's been a blessing. And as we come to chapter 19, there's a three-chapter cluster where it's David's military conquest. It actually started in chapter 18, then 19 and 20. And so on Tuesday night, we did the two chapters verse by verse with David's conquest in the latter part of that. And one of those events revolves around the Ammonites and this incredible, intense war military campaign that was so costly for everybody involved. It was so avoidable. And we spent a good deal of Tuesday night looking at it. But tonight, we're just going to look at the first couple of verses because that's, they're the most beautiful verses in this story. And it really puts in motion for the things we want to look at tonight topically. So in chapter 19, verse 1, we read this with King David, that it happened after he had these previous military victories against other people that Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died. That's neighboring Jordan to modern Israel. So the king died, and his son reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David sent messengers to comfort him, concerning his father, and David's servants came to Hanum in the land of the people of Amnon to comfort him. This is really almost lost in the story that happens after this, because the princes of Ammon, they're just, they're poisoned, they're toxic people, they can never see the good, they only see the bad, so they think the worst case scenario, they stir up the new king with the worst case scenario, the king humiliates the envoys that David sent, basically an act of war, shaves their beards, the worst thing you can do to a Middle Eastern man, strips them from their pants down, sends them back, and basically declared war, because when you do that to the envoys, you're doing it to those who sent them. So just like if you mistreat uh, the U.S. Embassy, like Iran in the 79, that's really like an act against the people and the presidency and the government of the USA, it's the same type of thing. Uh, you know, An embassy represents a country, and this, is, this was a diplomatic mission. And so it couldn't have gone worse for the Ammonites. They, in fact, it says that they made themselves repulsive, in the eyes of David, and it cost them all their money, it cost them their freedom, their way of life, and a a lot of life as well. So it was really, the story itself is pretty tragic for them, but it begins with a beautiful thing, a good story, a good motive, and a good, a good, a good action on, from King David, the man who wrote the Psalms, And so we read here, so he heard about this king, his neighboring king. Now, the Ammonites and Israelites didn't have a whole lot in common. They had different gods, different worldviews. That's it. And at times they had conflicts. At times they got along. You know, you shake hands, try and get along with your neighbor, and you do the best you can generation after generation, much like European people groups or Asiatic people groups. You just do the best you can. And so David had had a good relationship with this king. You know, tolerance, getting along, good neighbors, we're, we're good. We're, we're, maybe they even had a financial treaty going, like a NAFTA or something, like a good. They had a good thing going. So the king dies, and David reaches out to the son to show kindness and to comfort him. Now, I'm just thinking, we've all received letters and cards of comfort from King David. They're all over the book of Psalms. Only a fool would receive a card, a gift card from King David, expressing comfort and empathy for your father passing away. Now, many of you have lost your father, and you know how sad that was. It's quite likely David by this time had lost his father, Jesse. We don't know how I felt about that, how much he grieved, whatever. But those paternal relationships upward to mom and dad, like when your dad dies, that's your dad. When your mom dies, I still can't get over my mom's death. Like every Christmas time, because she passed on December 29th, right before COVID hit. I'm so emotional, as is my sister, and I suppose my brother as well to some degree. And David, at this point in life, has suffered many Testings, trials, tribulations, and tragedies. His father-in-law tried to kill him. His wife was taken from him and given to another man. Like how he went and ate the showbread, and then David did when he was fleeing for his life, and then all those priests were killed by Saul. And you think how sorrowful David was and the one survivor he took into his camp. Like David knew grief. David knew trials. David knew tragedy and heartache. So here is a guy whose life is tragedy and heartache, and he writes you a card expressing empathy and sympathy to tell you he cares and he's there for you. We won't even go back to the king of Ammon and what he did. It doesn't even matter. Because you know what? Like the Bible says, as much as up to you, live peaceably with all men. And Jesus showed empathy and compassion on all kinds of people who never thanked him or even appreciated it. He healed the ten lepers and how many came back to say thank you? One. And what did he say to the One. Where's your friends, right? So we don't let people's favorable response or disfavorable response for followers of Christ discourage us from thinking about other people, caring about other people, and showing empathy and compassion and kindness toward them. We just, we, we care about people because we care about them. Jesus told us to love our enemies, right? So this is a beautiful story. David is the winner in this story at this point because he just simply, he cares, and sometimes that's all you, the best you can do is send a card. And I'm sure he sent it, the envoy's insincerity. Now, really, the phrase that jumps out twice in these verses, one and two, is that he sent messengers to comfort him, and he sent the messengers to comfort him, we're told twice. Since David's a type of Christ, Sam was actually teach, teaching them in that this morning, You mentioned David being a type of Christ in a lot of ways because Christ, of course, Jesus comes from the line of David. There are many similarities. So here's David who wrote the Psalms and expressed all these heartaches and lived these things, and we receive those letters of comfort through David when we read the Psalms, expressing this to comfort. He's doing the best he can for who he is and the position he has to comfort his neighbor in a time of heartache, the death of his father. But we can do better than that. Because the comfort of people, now David's the one to get the comfort if you're going to have someone comfort. But now tonight we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, you can open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. A few times as we've been in Chronicles, I've done topical studies from a particular verse into the New Testament. For example, we did Abraham. Remember we looked at all the New Testament on Abraham. We're going to do that tonight. So David sets us up with his kindness, his compassion, and his empathy for his neighbor in a time of grief. And he to comfort him, but as I say, we can do a little, quite a bit better than that with Jesus who comforts us. So as we come to chapter two of, excuse me, chapter one of Second Corinthians, we come to the context where Paul the apostle has been through really hard times in ministry. He's being led by the Holy Spirit to write to the Corinthian church a second time, and in verse three he says this in the first chapter: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort." Who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort that which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you'll partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, and whom we trust that he will still deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Gets a little wordy there, but of course the macro thought comes at us right away. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. So that's our title tonight, the God of all comfort, because David sent envoys to comfort, and now we read a fuller version of that in the New Testament, and perhaps the strongest passage with detailed insight on the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulations, that we might comfort others so that our confidence would not be in ourselves, but in him who raises the dead and always does deliver us. The older we get, the more we're guaranteed, as we know, testings, trials, tribulation, and the word I least like, tragedy. You cannot get to 80 years of age, I say this fairly often, and not experience that. Now, you can live 20 years and maybe never see tragedy. See, I have timelines in my life, and of course, because I've been doing my book, I've been reflecting on a lot of different seasons of my life. The first death that impacted me was my grandmother, my mom's mom, when she died. She died in December of 1980, about a week before the Pipe Masters, and she's the first person that I knew and loved and really cared about that loved me and took me back to my childhood of the visits to Cleveland when she lived in Cleveland and we would stay with her, or when they moved to Florida and we'd go to Sarasota and visit them during the holidays, and I had all these memories with this person, my mom's mom, Nanny, my grandmother passed away, as it was the first time that, like a tragedy. Now, she was in her 70s, and you, you say, oh, someone's in their 70s. They lived a rich, full life. Well, you think that unless you're in your 70s. <laughs> right? That's, that's when you rethink that a little bit. Oh, there's a good life to be had in your 80s. And if you're healthy, like Dick Van Dyke, even in your 90s, right? I got to 20 years having never felt that crushing sense of someone you love, that they're not going to be there when you go to Sarasota. Now, you, when you're in your 60s, you've gotten that on every direction coming and going, above you, beside you, and below you. You just can't get around it. Now, in Paul's context here, he, it's ministry. And he would go on to say, like, as apostles, they were on display for the world to see that their persecution, their tribulations, their trials, that he, said, he essentially said that our life our pride and our fleshly things are a death sentence. We're being crucified publicly so the life of Christ would be manifest to you. So he said all day long we're being given to death, just the beat down of their pride and their flesh and those things, that Christ would come forth to win people to Christ. Just like Jesus died in our place that we might have life. My wife said something last week that just had a profound impact on me for someone that's been in ministry for 35 years. She said, do you realize that Jesus has his scars in heaven, but we don't? And I thought, I never thought of it. Because we have no, there's no tears or sorrows in heaven for the disciple of Jesus Christ. But Jesus has his scars. He has scars for the next dimension forever, so we don't have to. That's amazing. So as Paul was saying, like, hey, we're we're crucified to bring life to you. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat dies, it cannot bring forth life. So his death gives us spiritual life. That's the the idea. And that's sort of the context here. That is the context here. Paul talking about his apostolic ministry. So the context was persecution and tribulations in ministry. But we know throughout the New Testament, the book of James says, hey, you know, we these testings, you know, prove our faith. These trials and tribulations, through many uh, tribulations, we must inherit the kingdom of God. That was the end of the first missionary journey in Acts 14, and we just see this time and time again. So with or without Jesus, we're going to experience testings, trials, tribulations, and tragedy. And they're going to shape us one way or another. In unbelief, they'll generally make us shut down and become bitter, or through faith in Christ, where we really believe they're working together for good, we get better. I was thinking of two men I know the other day, I said, Jennifer, she read me something from her morning devotion. And I said, uh, Hey, that got me thinking. I have this epiphany of these two men I know. One man is Brian McDaniel. And seems like there's always an obstacle to his ministry in Haiti. He ministers to the poorest people in the world, Haiti, in the most unsafe country in the world, Haiti. And he does so effectively and efficiently. He ministered to the previous president before he's assassinated, a week before he's assassinated. Brian. I've known him for 20 years, and his life has been trial, trial, crisis, trial, trial, crisis, trial, trial, crisis. But in all that, it's always been faith and opportunity, because when you talk to Brian McDaniels, he's like, hey, Joey, how you doing? Like, he's always have faith and optimism that God's doing a good work. And whatever setback he has in ministry or physical affliction, God gave him a second wife, a Haitian, some children, he had heartache and heartbreak from his first marriage, like, It just, he sees the best, and he sows the best, and he reaps the best. Now, there's another man I know who's lived in Southern California for the last 20 years. He's never happy. He's lost wives. Everything's always gone wrong. He goes to church. And he's always the victim. He's always, always the victim. He can't talk for five minutes without being the victim, but Brian McDaniel can't talk for five seconds without being the victor. And you see, this is really how it works when you're, you know, you're going through testings, trials, tribulations, and tragedy, The world is going to see from you either victor or victim. And if we say Jesus is Lord and Savior to the glory of God the Father, then they should see victor. Or they might see a broken victor, a sobbing victor, a crushed victor, but they should still see a woman or a man who is the victor. Because the God of all comfort is the one who comforts us in all of our things that he'll bring us through it. Now, we read uh, the first point of God of all comfort is he comforts us in all of our tribulations, which we're saying, these trials and tribulations. But they're not just, when you really think about stuff, because we think about death, because death is the biggest thing. Ultimately, that which crushes us is death, the death of a loved one. Earlier this week, my good friend, he's the in-law, Jim Gallagher, who's the father-in-law for my daughter, Hannah. His mother recently was moved from Huntington Beach to Vero Beach about five months ago. They were so excited to move her so they could be there with her. She really loved the assisted living place she was living at. She's healthy. She loves Hannah, my daughter. All the other Gallagher boys are back there. She wasn't feeling good last weekend, and now it looks like she's ready to step into eternity. And it happened so fast. Two weeks ago, she's telling Hannah how excited she was that Hannah was going to have her first baby, our daughter, our oldest daughter. And that was going to be a girl, and she was so excited, and her kidneys have shut down. And Jim Gallagher has been facing that. So we've been praying for Jim Gallagher and the Gallagher boys, and everyone's going to say goodbye to their grandmother from California that's now been in Vero Beach for four months. You you realize, and and I said, we asked Hannah, how's Jim doing? She goes, terrible. He never had a dad. His dad died young. And now his mom's passing. See, death is the thing that really crushes us, but there's other things that crush us. Injustice crushes us. Prejudices crush us. There's a lot of things, accidents. Bethany Hamilton lost her arm to a shark at 12. You know, people ask me, could she have been the best surfer in the world? Absolutely. She was runner up in the world without an arm in a sport where you need two arms to paddle. Being number two in the world, in the world junior championship, is like being number two in the Olympics in swimming. Surfing is based upon positioning. She never faulted anyone. She gave God the glory, and the rest is history. She had a dream to be the world champion, and she pushed it hard. She pushed it hard. I remember watching her in the U.S. Open here with one arm and 10 foot C, that swell, south swell sweeping, one arm kicking, kicking, kicking against Steffi Gilmore, the world champion. Kicking, because she looked like a bunch of fish, because all the water's because she has to kick. She's a big girl, she's like six foot. Can you imagine the horror of that day on Halloween in 2000? The year 2000. Her parents. She's surfing with two friends and the arm's gone. It's just gone. The shock. Can you imagine the shock that you would have if you're in the water and a shark rips your arm off? And yet, look at her now. All the ministry with Jesus. Her foundation beautifully flawed for all these women around the world that have lost limbs through accidents and stuff. Victor or victim? You see? We ministered to a fellow that became a quadriplegic the first year of this church, dirt bike riding. Broke his neck. We tried. We did everything we could for him. We ministered to his wife and their son. Eventually left the church. He died. Complications. She died last year. I can still picture the kid running around the sanctuary here the first five years. Man, there's a lot of How about all the veterans from Afghanistan, Iraq? Walking the streets of America, going to work. What they saw, what they lost. Not just our country, how about other countries? Every country. There's 8 billion people on the planet that deal with testings, trials, tribulations, and tragedy. And the persecution against believers in Burma, Vietnam, China, these sorts of places in the world, it's unbelievable. So it's not a question of Things like this will happen. The question is, will we? Let, because well, there's all kinds of tribulations, is what I'm saying. Not just death. Death is the pinnacle, but there's all kinds of tribulations. So the question, and tragedies. So the real question is, will we let the God of all comfort comfort us in all of our tribulation? That's the real issue, because I found in 35 years of ministry that people who say yes are the victors, but some people want to be the victim. Some people want to have an excuse for throwing away their life and doing nothing and blaming others. Blaming God. Blaming others. But the real deal is accept responsibility for who we are in life and accept the things we can't change and invite Lord Jesus Christ to take us forward in everything he wants to do in our life. That's the key to the victorious life. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in some of our tribulations, all of our tribulations. Seen a lot of tribulation. Many of you have seen a lot of tribulation. All. David, when he wrote Psalm 139, said this, Where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the grave, you are there. If I go to the highest thing, highest in the space, you are there. If I go to the farthest... Side of the sea, even there you are there in your right hand. Oh, guide me mean, if I'm absorbed and consumed by the darkness, your light is with me. See, the Lord Jesus Christ goes deeper than our deepest valley, and his light is brighter than our darkest moment. And that is something as the Church of Jesus Christ we need to be reminded of at various times. And tonight I am reminding you of it, that Jesus Christ goes deeper than your lowest valley. As deep as you go, he'll go deeper. He goes, higher than your mount- highest mountaintop, too. Maybe like, oh, really? This is something, you know, like, he, he's greater than your greatness. But he's deeper than our worst moment. But that Psalm 139, David felt the darkness, the oppressive darkness where all has gone wrong in your life. And it just, it, it couldn't get any worse. But he said, even there you were, it's the day in the darkness is the same as you, to you. And you see it all and you're aware of it all. He knew that God was, not he didn't know that God delivered him from the bear and the lion. But he knew that God was with him in the darkest moments of his life. <laughs> King of Ammon should have just received that comfort card. But we do receive it. And its fullness is Jesus. He delivers us from all, all. I don't know what you'll face between now and eternity. And we have younger people in here tonight. We have younger people upstairs. And we have kids in our children's ministry. I don't know what they'll face between here and eternity. But I do know this, the longer you live, sooner or later, there's a call, there's a knock on the door, there's something that changes your life. And it'll, it'll bring eternity closer, and our frailty and morality more obvious than it ever was before. And it's just so comforting to know tonight, in Jesus' name, that the God of all comfort, because he's the only one that comforts us the way he can comfort See, philosophy, world religions, and faulty worldviews cannot comfort the way he can. He comforts us, all of our tribulation. He's the one who comforts us because he alone is the Lord. Jesus alone, Isaiah 51, tells us he's the man of sorrows. He stood at Lazarus' tomb and wept. Jesus wept. Sort of little verse there in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. And he's a man of sorrow. He's a man of joy, too. Jesus made the wedding really special in Cana, right? He's a man of joy. He's a man of sorrow. The man who wept blood in the Garden of Gethsemane pleading for any other way to redeem our souls is definitely the one qualified to meet our every need, all tribulations that we'll ever face. Paul, at the end of his life, said, I had this trial. No one was with me. I was abandoned by everybody, but the Lord stood with me. See, he will always be with his people. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. So even if the dark valley seems like it's empty, you can be sure by faith in Christ, in Jesus' name, that he is there with you. Now, if someone's not a believer, we can say that God sees it and knows it, and they invite him to be there, he will be there. I've been in some many dark places where I've been invited, asked people, do you want to invite Jesus into this moment? And sometimes they said yes, and sometimes they said no. I still was there with Jesus in that moment. But you want to live in that moment? Because, see, when Jesus is in the moment of trials, tribulations, tragedy, he's in the moment, one, for a believer, in our heart because we're born again, right? So he's with us in our heart, and the Spirit's guiding us and comforting us. So we feel things in our heart. And so in those difficult, vexing moments of life, he's with us in our heart for the believer because we're the temple of God. He's literally in our heart, and we can feel his Spirit comforting us and calming us Jesus said I give you peace not as a world give I peace to thee and we're told that the peace of God rule in your hearts and we're told to be anxious for nothing but through prayer and supp- supplication let a request be made known to God and then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will rule in our hearts he will keep thee in perfect peace her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon the Lord and that peace can be in our heart the God of all comfort even for a twelve year old that just lost her arm to a shark and then the, peace can be, the presence of the Lord can be external. I've been in many situations where I've seen a hospital room filled with the presence of the Lord. Before I ever got into ministry, my mom sent me to visit a friend who was dying at Tri-City Hospital in September 1987 before I knew I was going to be a pastor. My mom said, can you just go by and visit her and say hi and maybe pray for her? I'll never forget that. Oh my goodness, Brian Broderson had just started discipling me and I went to Tri-City Hospital Oceanside. I walked in that room and I'd never seen someone about to give up the ghost. She was about to step into eternity. Her body was shaking. I'm still a pro surfer. Like, I'm still a pro surfer. I'm going forward with Jesus. I've been six months strong with Jesus. I'd never seen that just before. Her body is shaking. And, I was, and it, she was alone in the room. There was no one else in the room. There's was a hospital room. This woman's dying. She's alone in the room. And I didn't know what to do. And I just read pro, uh, Psalm 23 for the first time in my life just a few days before that. I just read, The Lord is my shepherd. And I went forward, I prayed for this lady, and I I read that, and I felt the Holy Spirit completely fill the room. I might as well have been Solomon on the day of the dedication of the temple. The Holy Spirit filled that room, calmed her body, calmed her mind, and peace came over that room. I I mean, ooh. It was the presence of the Lord filling that room. Later on, when I confirmed to be a pastor, the Lord took me back to that moment just a few months later when I was made the decision that I would be a pastor, and that was the best decision I made up into my life up until November 1987. But the presence of the Lord was in that room. You know, when I've I've showed up to do memorials for seven-year-olds, and here's the casket, and there's just the family and three seats, it's like, oh, Lord God, fall on this cemetery. Please fall on this place. Like, you know, the God of all comfort can be in us and around us, but he promises to always be with us. And yet there's a third experience with his presence where we feel like he's not there. It's like that famous footsteps in the sand, right? Lord, my worst moments, I only see one set of footprints. That's because I was carrying you. There's times your faith is so tested in testings, trials, tribulations, and tragedy where you feel like you're alone. And that's when you've got to know in your heart that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And God is testing your faith. In all. See, there's no tribulation that we'll ever face in life. We go, oh, this one's out of Jesus' league. This is beyond him. This big league tribulation. No, he's the God of the universe, a trillion galaxies, billions of people, hairs on your head. He knows everything. He's got this. And if we'll let him into that situation, he most certainly will comfort us in and through it. In ministry, there's been such heavy moments that I've been in where it's like, God help, and that's it. Like, you know, it's a God help prayer. You just don't need, you're going to someone's house, and they're about to die. You're like, oh, God help. And then the, you just, oh, God help. And it's just so good to know that when I'm calling on the Lord Jesus Christ, God help, and you're calling on the Lord Jesus Christ to help, he is the God who helps. And he's the God who hears and comforts us. There are certain tragedies. tragedies you hear them, you go like, I just don't, you know, my, in my human son of Adam, I just go, As a son of Adam, I say, like, oh, gosh, how can that be for good? And we had the tragedy of the toddler that drowned right right two days after Christmas in Arizona that we were aware of. And I was like, oh, God, I felt sick. I just felt sick. Just at Grandma's house. Oh. Oh. Just felt just, ah. And I'll tell you what my first thought was. It was a selfish thought not my grandkids, but some other pastor is going to minister that situation. Because when you're the pastor or the pastor's wife or you're the person ministering that situation, you enter into that sorrow. You go into that sorrow. When you go into a room of a 12-year-old dying of cancer, you go into that sorrow. This has been my life for 35 years. If you're a first responder, like Cindy, you go into that, you feel that sorrow. You know, like, if you're, if you, you feel it. Like, you take it on. But I can tell you, without a doubt, for 35 years, I've always believed, without wavering, that Christ will turn it for good in their life, if they let him. I have always believed that. My faith has never wavered that even in the worst circumstance, like that story that I was made aware of, when I come to what I don't know, I fall back on what I do know. And I might not know how this is going to work together for good, but I know that God promises it will. And I believe that and I'll believe it as long as I'm in time, space, and matter, and you should too. No tragedy should stop you in your tracks from going forward with Jesus. It might stump you, take the wind right out of you, and crush you, but don't let it stop you. Because I've watched tragedy stop a lot of people on their journey, and they look for comfort in alcohol, drugs, and all these other things that could go, no. The God of all comforts, we want to bring us through every tribulation, tragedy, and heartache. All of them, because he's able to. We also see he brings us to them so we can comfort others. Verse, uh, verse 4 is part 2. So he's the God of all comfort, and he comforts us in all of our tribulations because he's faithful to do so. And then, we're, you know, his presence is with us and his promises, and then we're told here so that we might be able to comfort those who are in trouble. This is, this is a beautiful thing in the experience with Christ, that as painful as it is to go through heartaches and sorrows that you experience, like if you've been through a painful divorce, you can minister to people going through a painful divorce. See, I watched my mom go through a painful divorce. So I can be kind of uh, empathetic. Em- empathy is like you, you you care. Like, you care. You know, like, you. hey, I sincerely care about this. Like, Bethany Hamilton lost her arm. She came to WG when she was 12, you know, and shared at our Calvary Coast Mason. I was empathetic to see her, this girl without her arm. You know, like, I was very—we took her surfing and— is before she had custom wetsuits. Me and Leah and we went down to Lower Trestles with Bethany Hamilton. We got our wetsuit from Rip Curl, and no one thought to think what do you do with the extra arm on the wetsuit? She was surfing for the first time in California since she lost her arm. She had a brand new wetsuit from Rip Curl outlet right there, and we put it on her. And suddenly realized like she's got this wetsuit arm. Like what do you do? She's like, she was 12. We we tied it. We tied it up. She paddled out there like big crowd, like, had a hard time getting waves, one arm. She won a national title there three years later. Same break, with a custom wetsuit that was always covering the stump, you know. I was very empathetic, but I never experienced losing an arm, so I'm not sympathetic in that way. I'm sympathetic when you lose a child, because I've lost a child. I'm sympathetic when you lose a mother or a mother-in-law. I'm sympathetic to those things because I've experienced those things, but I'm empathetic to other things. It is amazing we lost our first child at the beginning of the first year of ministry I was in, and for the rest of my 34 years of ministry, people would seek me out to do memorials for children and kids, and I mean, I just never know, and then the Lord's going to push that button, and it just i can't stop it. I just can't stop it. But it's there for a reason See, that's where it's worked for good because when I'm ministering to people that have lost children, I have a credibility and the comfort that I experienced going through a nightmare, and it was a nightmare. Still is. Still is. When you say you're pregnant, I have to fight the first thought that you can lose that child. Anyone that's ever lost children, like Sam and Joanna and others, Joe Hanschel's lost a couple kids. When you've lost children, when people say they're pregnant, you're excited for them, but you know what it's like to come home from the hospital without the child or th- these things. And what you realize is not only can you lose a child in the womb, you can lose a child as soon as they're out of the womb. That's what you learn. You just got to trust the Lord the whole way. But if you've lost a child during a pregnancy, there's no safe week. You know, second trimester, week 24, eh. third trimester, week 33, lungs are almost like, yeah. It, it's who you are. Because you've experienced those things. So in my life, I've had this ministry, having sympathy to that, to minister in a profound way in those circumstances. I go back to worship generation. Jeremy Camp. Wow. See, most people think of Jeremy and his current wife. And all of his his kids are teenagers now. But I remember being at San Diego Airport where Melissa was looking for him. She came up to me. You've seen Jeremy, and she was so in love with him. I remember being at their wedding. I still have all the invitations, the bookmark you get for a wedding, and I got the bookmark you get for a memorial. I got her wedding bookmark in the autumn 2000 and I've got a memorial bookmark from early 20, 2001. I've got them both. The thing about Jeremy Kent that was amazing is as he went through so much heartache losing the bride of his youth after four months of being married. He wrote all those songs. Five of them went number one. Five number one songs. I Will Walk By Faith is probably the most number one. And we did ministry with Jeremy after he lost her And, you know, Daniel was an eyewitness. I don't really think, uh, Daniel's probably the only eyewitness to events we did with Daniel, with uh, Jeremy. And the power on Jeremy Camp through his suffering was unbelievable. I mean, he had, like, eternal authority like you just never saw. And as he, we did venues with three, four, five hundred people. The venues got bigger, and more and more people came, and they just kept growing. And they would come to him, why? Because He was a man of sorrow and suffering who had been comforted by God, and he could comfort with the power of God. And what began to happen as he did concerts with us is that, you know, straight and narrow, these other bands, Phil Wickham, they do like five, six songs. Jeremy do like three and just stop and just start ministering, and then he'd be there all night. His dad was a pastor, and he's particularly good with mentally challenged people. He had a Down syndrome brother. Jeremy Camp was very sensitive to special needs people, always very sensitive to special needs people. Even to this day, 20 years later, he just has such a power to comfort people from the heartache of what he experienced. Because every young, beautiful couple that gets married, or any couple that gets married, the fear of losing your spouse would be, you don't even think about it, but there's nothing like young love and losing the spouse to cancer. I mean, there's lots of movies like A Walk for a Member. I mean, there's just every, every culture, the Chinese, the K dramas, everyone's done this movie. The young people are in love, they get married, and someone dies of cancer in the first year. It's heartbreaking, and yet it's the human experience. Jeremy Camp let Jesus Christ heal him, comfort him, and strengthen him, and bring him through it, and shine. And in doing so, he's reached millions of people for the kingdom of God. I do mean millions. He didn't have to go to Uzbekistan and Turkestan and those places to share Christ, but he did. COVID didn't stop him. His movie was number one during COVID. He's still touring, he's he's always touring. He's always out there ministering, bringing the God of all comfort to people who need comfort. The music's a front. The music is a front for Jeremy Camp. Jeremy Camp is an evangelist and a pastor. And all that he does with music, he ministers through music, and then he ministers by the power of the Spirit to people afterwards. He let it work for good in his life. He was comforted by the God of all comfort, and then his life became a testimony of the God of all comfort. And that's what God wants to do in our trials and tribulations and tragedies and difficulties that we go through. We're going to have communion in just a few moments and this table is a table of thanksgiving. This table is a table sometimes of repentance. It's a table of hope and expectation for the kingdom. But it's a table of comfort. Communion is there to comfort us. Take this cup and do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. That's comfort. The God of all comfort who comforts us. The third thing we see, now it is to comfort us in all of our tribulations. Not only, He's the only one that's able to. That we might comfort others but that we have our trust in him. I, I love verse 9. It's important. that we, you know He's talking about apostolic. We have the sentence of death in ourselves. He's saying that from an apostolic perspective. But then he says that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, which he does. We just celebrated that at Easter. And does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. See, the God of comfort comforts us in every... Trial, testing, tribulation, and tragedy. So we can comfort others and be his healing hands, his healing voice, that we can be the touch of Christ in this journey of life. And as much as we embrace it, as much as we get from it, whatever we give out is what we get back. Jeremy Camp gave a lot out. He's getting a lot back in time and eternity. But ultimately, when we go through things, when maybe our dreams are ripped from us like a shark ripping your arm off, or doing the memorial for your bride when she's 21, and a dream is taken or something's happened that forever changes your destiny, and whether it was an injustice, a prejudice, or persecution, tribulation, bad luck, however you would see it, just seemed ill-fated or whatever. Christ is bigger than that. Jesus is way bigger than fate, and he's way bigger than superstitions. I've never been superstitious since I gave my life to Christ. I was very superstitious before then. I read my horoscope. I finished 13th in the world twice. It was the worst thing ever. Twice. Oh, I'm cursed. I'm cursed. I'm cursed. I was a perfect victim for superstition. When I got saved, God delivered me from curses and fate. My life is in the hands of the Savior. And when you give your life to Christ, so is yours. There's no dumb luck or random fate for someone who's under the blood of Christ. Christ and has the Spirit of God leading them in this journey that we call life that seals us until the day of redemption. So we're taught to trust in God. There's things that distract us on earth. Mountaintops distract us. Temporal wealth distracts us. Anxieties of life distract us. When we go through tribulation that rocks us and shakes our world, it reminds us that eternity is all that matters. Every day I look in the mirror and I say, Be watching, be ready. This could be the day. Viking. That's what I do. It's the last thing I do. Be watching, be ready. This could be the day. Let's go. Like coming out of a locker room for a sporting event. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Cuz he keeps giving me another day, he keeps giving you another day, but you don't know when the days are done. Fear no evil, and fear no tribulation. I don't fear bad news for me, and I don't fear bad news for you. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind, that we might trust in him who raises the dead, who will raise us, and he has delivered us, and will always deliver us. Jesus Christ didn't deliver me from people with guns pointed at my head, open ocean at 50-foot seas, and all the other things he delivered me from, that I would wake up and be tremid and live in fear of the boogeyman, and things I have no control over. Nor you, as he's delivered you and will continue to deliver you. We are invincible till he's done with us. So we need to trust him in all things that reigns on the just and the unjust. Good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people, and they go both ways, coming and going. But we know in Christ that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose and be conformed to the expressed image of his son. And so every trial, every testing, every tragedy, every heartbreak moves us closer to glory, puts our treasures in heaven, puts our focus on the king, and makes us that much more ready for what really matters with Jesus in the next dimension for all eternity.